I'm Richard Lannan, Rides with Cannon, and this is the Glazing Insider Industry Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Nozzle. The Nozzle team captures photos, videos and drone footage from locations across the UK to create content for your social media and case studies for your website. To find out more about Nozzle's pay-as-you-go and monthly packages, visit nozzle.media. Welcome to the podcast dedicated to the people of the glazing industry. In this episode, I talk with Dean Bradley from Glasspart. In this conversation, Dean talks us through his fenestration journey all the way from how it started to the position he's in today. So, Without further ado, let's get started. Dean, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Glassbar. Thank you for having me and thank you for coming on. So, no problem uh, at all. How did you get into the fenestration world? Uh, well, I think I was actually dragged back in uh, inadvertently. Uh, many, many years ago, I was in uh, a similar role with another company. Um, I decided as a youngster to actually uh, move on to better things and uh, jobs at company cars and various uh, better salaries. Uh, and then um, the opportunity came up to actually come back and into the industry with uh, with Glasspart and, by, of all things, with uh, Trickle Vents. Right. So what company was that then? Uh, well, that was a company up in uh, in Manchester. Uh, they were a ventilation company with lots of different systems. It was just you know, it was one of those opportunities where I was there for two years and uh, then decided to, to move on. But after the realisation that I could actually, uh, I was in a marketing role, and I, I realised that I could probably do the selling role, so uh, moved across into a, a role uh, out on the road. That's interesting. So, what well, what did you do when you left school? Then, how did you get to sort of that position? Well, I started off. Uh, I was a production manager in a, a clay pipe works for about eighteen months. Right. Then realised it wasn't really going to go very far, and ended up at uh, university uh, doing a marketing degree, and then. That was really where it started. Unfortunately, I came out into a, a, a recession, uh, but got a job in Manchester in marketing, and it evolved from there. Right. That's quite interesting. So so you always had an interest in marketing, and sales and marketing do go hand in hand, really. Yeah, well, I think I'm actually still looking to find out what job I actually want. Um, <laughs> it's um, it, it just became the, uh, uh, that's the area that I had the interest in. And, that, and ultimately, it's where the opportunity um, came about. Uh, I mean, I was actually trying to sell warehousing space. So as a product, if you're trying to sell space, it's um, quite an interesting challenge, especially trying to build something in a features and benefits into a square meter of air. Right, yeah. So you were, So, what sort of route was that sort of designing brochures and everything to go with it and the PDFs? And- it's full service. It was all, all customer-side marketing. So it's finding the right people to support you, and I've been very lucky with that. And it's really just you know understanding what is actually going to sell. There's a lot of marketing people that have a thought process that marketing is an end in itself. My realization in my career has always been about it's what are you going to sell if you invest that money in that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's got to be a commercial benefit to it at some point. Yeah. So it's just how you it's how you define that, but you you've got to understand the value and your your product and what you're offering. So the main question is: Were you successful in helping to sell space? 
Uh, well, I was there for five years. Oh, yeah, that's good. Then. You know, we did some uh, major contract uh, submissions. And we were preferred bidders for uh, a global drinks company. They decided at whatever level over in Europe uh, not to do what they were, we'd actually uh, been put forward for. But, you know, we were successful in, in everything that we were doing. Right. I don't even know where to start with that <laughs> space. I suppose... From the sort of the creative side, an empty space, it, the possibilities are endless, aren't they? So, from a marketing point of view, that's very hard to. It, it's trying to find what the what the features are, because you know it's all about just uh, keeping the uh, the product safe. Ultimately, I mean, we had everything from tobacco to you know we had box making uh, facilities, you know, in timber uh, as well as very very specialist uh, products. So it's just trying to distill that. And try and add, you know, it's all about the security, the, the services you've got, the buildings that you've got. And then it was building the actual marketing and the literature and the, all that investment that was needed to try and attract more, you know, more customers to the, to the, uh, to the company. I mean, it even got as simple as uh, having to ask for a laser printer because the dot matrix one didn't quite look right on when you send in a quotation out to a customer. Yeah. But that probably shows more about my age than it does uh, anything else. <laughs> yeah. It, wow. Devils in the detail. It, Absolutely, it makes it, a difference. It, it, it's it's good when you've got to build something from the from from the bottom up, and yeah. then you can apply it, and then you have just got to understand, you know what uh, you know what what do people need to know, and then present that in in the best way possible. So, what happened after the five years of marketing? Where, where did you go next? Uh, well, I got that's where I moved right. into uh, into sales. I actually got into rubber, if I can use that phrase, where. I had about six different markets when I traveled all over Europe selling rubber components, you know, the, uh, the handrails on escalators. Oh, right. Um, wow. A lot of engineered products uh, going into um, a, lot of, a lot of very big systems. And we got you know, bladders uh, for uh, hydraulic and pneumatic systems. So it was a, a very, very challenging and interesting uh, market. But it was, it was uh, across the whole of Europe. So... You sort of went in at the deep end then. That wasn't just nipping up and down you know, the motorway. To, that was worldwide travel. That, that, travel. Was, uh, that was a lot of Europe. I mean, I, uh, you know, I'd do a, a trip every six weeks, about 3,000 miles. And, you, know, you, you leave on, the, on the, uh, the, the Sunday morning and get back on the uh, Saturday night. But um, yeah, I also found out where the best places to buy wine was as you're driving around Europe. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it was very, very interesting, yeah, working with some very, very big companies. Is that quite a competitive market? Because sort of, you picture escalators, you sort of think, how many companies are there that manufacture those? Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, a lot of them were, uh, were German. So uh, that, that's where our core uh, market was. You know, there's probably a dozen companies. And, uh, but yeah, it was working on new machines, but it was also a lot of the repair and overhaul. And uh, got into some interesting places and uh, under escalators on the London Underground at four o'clock in the morning. Different experience, but uh, it's you know it's amazing what you know the places you get to and then the actual structure that's under you know because you, you don't get to see all that. No, no. Why did you have to be there at four in the morning? Is it because it's quieter? No, and nobody else wanted to do the uh, the job and drive the uh, engineer down to do the work, uh, <laughs> but and we had to have two people. Right, but he needed to be qualified, and I need. Apparently, I had the car. <laughs> but, Hello. Um, it was fun. I mean, this, yeah. When you finish at four in the morning, when you get kicked out, you know, you can go and have a drive around uh, London at four o'clock in the morning, which is 
And again, an interesting challenge. You can actually move and then we'd head back uh, after that. Were there any places where you felt in danger? Did you get to that level? Only in, in, when we had to do the same in China, but that was a, another very, very long story. Right, I see. But, uh, yeah, when you get sent out, we had to do uh, two escalators in a building in, in, in Shanghai. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, that was uh, another interesting story. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, flying into uh, uh, Shanghai on a brand new se- uh, 747 with the first crew on it because it was the only plane they could get us on because our plane had been delayed. At, uh, at that point, we were 14 hours into the, uh, the after the first flight. Right. That, um, there you go. <laughs> so you sort of, um, that was quite at the deep end. Was it, were, were they easy sales to some extent? Or was it, it was the process you had to follow? Because getting into sales is a, is a, it can be quite hard for some people and they don't make it because I don't know whether the company hasn't supported them in the right way or it, it's a hard sale anyway. If it's something new, a new concept. Yeah. I mean, the, the work that I've done has been very, uh, focused, very niche, um, and I moved on to engineering consumables. But again, very specialist, you know, very high value uh, solutions for the marketplaces, and yeah, you, know, you actually learn a lot more in those environments. You know, the one thing that's never interested me is, you know, going around selling Mars bars, and you know, if you want to buy them, the ten pence each. Well, that's not what I do. You know, it's all about features, benefits, value, what you can deliver. And the benefit you can deliver to the customer hmm. doesn't always work, but you know that's a that's an interesting way of working because it's every day is different, every solution is different, although the products are the same. It's just trying to work where you can get that one edge. Yeah, yeah. So quality rather than quantity, should we say? No, I'm, that's I'm, absolutely. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I moved into the uh, the fastener industry. I was with a company called Hook, which uh, is now part of a much bigger uh, conglomerate, but you're trying to sell, you know, a rivet that's 15 pence against um, a screw that's a penny. Mm. But we, we sold a lot of rivets. Really? Because it's speed. Yeah, I suppose. Speed, accuracy, and it's never going to be serviced. So every customer had a different requirement, and you, we just had to, you have to play what benefits you can build around that customer. My head's just gone rivets. I'm I'm picturing squeezing a rivet gun uh, to try and get a set of hinges in with rivets <laughs> to re- replacements because there were rivets before. And of course, unless the holes were slightly different, you were putting rivets mm-hmm. back in. And the amount of time, and it was just slightly out, and then you had to drill them out and start again. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, I mean, we were doing, I mean, I've done applications throughout the rail network, I've done applications all over commercial vehicles. So when you're driving down the motorway, and I guarantee you, you'll do it after this. When you're driving along, you can look at all the rivets as they were, as they are in the more traditional build. They're all the sort of fastening systems that we uh, we had. Right. So that's just one of the applications that we can, we could work on. I see. I never even thought about the cost. Sort of that level. <laughs> you sort of think. I just assumed. I don't know why. In my head, I sort of assumed that they maybe cost less. But I suppose from metal and and how they're built, it's mm-hmm. a different. It's a different animal, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. Particularly with that that sort of technology, where you need installation equipment. You know, it's it's not just about buying that little bit of rivet because of the structural nature of it. You know, people need to know that it's going to stay there. Mm. If you're building a truck, you don't want the body falling off. Yeah. So that's all. A lot of the work that we did was all around that, rather than just going in and selling a bucket of screws. Yeah. 
because again, I wouldn't interest me at all. No. So what made you leave, you know, after you moved on to the next company? Mm-hmm. So what made you leave the, the escalator world? Um, it was, I could see the value in it. Obviously when I moved to, to hook and I, and I ran hook in the, in the UK, it's all about the engineering and the, everything that's built around it. As I say, it's, it, it wasn't just a simple put it in the hall and use it. It's all about the engineering that goes in, uh, goes into it. Uh, you know the the products uh, that are there. I mean, I've got some fantastic places. I, mean, I went up the old, um, uh, oh, sorry, down the the um, the old uh, Land Rover Defender line before it got pulled out. Right. Uh, I've been around Aston Martin, McLaren, and if you've ever seen a factory with white tiled floors, it's the most amazing thing you've ever seen. It's yeah. What did I see? I saw one of the inside uh, Aston Martin garage and they were, they were carrying out a service on a car mm-hmm. and the lifts just come out of the floor and it was all white tiles everywhere and I thought mm-hmm. that is the cleanest workshop yeah. I've ever seen. Yeah, well they, they, they make the McLarens on a, a white tile floor. Wow. And it's phenomenal, you know, you go down the um, with Aston Martin and you go past where they're making all the car seats and then you, it's when the tour guide turns around and goes, well well, actually you know, the actual cost of the two seats in the Aston Martin is more than a Ford Fiesta <laughs> as it was at that time it's just, it's mind blowing it's all, hand, all you know, the quality of the work that goes into it is you know, absolutely phenomenal. Also, I'm just thinking the cost of a tiled floor that size. <laughs> just about all the factory units that we go around these days, and there's a bit of paint on them if it mm-hmm. all you know, but it's used and it's already scraped off. Yeah, yeah. But imagine tiling that floor. Yeah, it's um, you know, amazing some of the places you end up. So whether you sort of you were coming in the position from that point, then sort of at the top, you were running these. Divisions. Well, I was responsible for of all the the commercial side of it and the selling of it. Obviously, we've got a team a bit like we have here at Glasspart. You know, the manufacturing team do all the the hard work, so they tell me. Um, <laughs> and I'm responsible for getting the customers, maintaining that, and maintaining the customer service, and uh, making sure the customers are happy. Right. Which is where I've sort of found my niche, if you like. Yeah. And then, what even sort of. Mixing a, a, a switching over to the the fastness. Were you sort of headhunted? How did that sort of happen? Uh, it was just an opportunity that came up. Uh, I was contacted by uh, an agency. Uh, they'd seen my uh, my profile, and because of the work I was doing in sort of engineering consumables, uh, there was a fit. They didn't want uh, somebody from the fastener industry because it's a different it's a different viewpoint. Mm-hmm. You know, it was uh, it's a technical sell, and they saw that, and uh, you know, I saw the opportunity. I was there for 10 years. 10 years. But, uh, so, yeah, it was an interesting challenge. And uh, uh, lots of different products came online as the company got bigger and bigger with acquisitions. Right, I see. Yeah, it tends to be successful businesses. Buy them. <laughs> so for you then, did that did that change things? Sort of the job role changed, titles changed, everything over those 10 yeah, years? Yeah, it, it was very dynamic, as happens when big uh, conglomerates buy each other out and move things around and divest. I just got to a point where I knew all the, the you know, I'd go and see a customer. I knew the script and I probably knew before I walked in, whether I was going to get anything from what I saw as I, as I was going in. But it just got to that point where the buzzer wasn't there because I'd come out and go, well, I know I'd done what I needed to do. I'd answered all the questions, done, you know, done everything, but I couldn't remember most of it because it was automatic. Mm. So that's when I, so I moved on into on different roles. 
Right. So then, then after that, you went to... Well, I came to, to Glasspot. So here. that was from 10 years... Right, I see. Yeah. So, so I've been here 10 years, nearly 11. Right, I so see. It's, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I joined the business when it, we were well, nearly half what we are today. And um, we've grown it from uh, from the ground up. And similar situation then, were you? did someone reach out to you for this position or did you go looking for this one? I was looking around. And you know the uh, I met Ken and Mark, uh, the directors, and um, you know it just fitted. And you know it's a great role, and uh, it's just literally just evolved, and it's back into the uh, a large part of what we do is back in the fenestration industry. Although we've got a whole diverse range of products, uh, working with system houses, installers, fabricators, distributors, everybody in this in the system. Mm. It just takes time to build it. Yeah. Uh, bearing in mind we've you know we've doubled the size of the company and uh with all the recent uh, changes that have um that are out there um we're probably going to do it again oh, no, just a bit quicker yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i suppose it was a no-brainer for you then moving into this sort of because it, you're drawing on everything over the last 20 years you know mm-hmm. of, of everything that well um marketing everything comes into it now absolutely it's it's, been, it's pulling all that together so uh, we'll, you know, we are developing and evolving that. Um, you have to, because uh, if you try and hold on to do, doing everything and uh, the scale of the company is increasing, you've just got to know that you can step back and bring the right team in to actually build around you, this, you know, the skill set that we can maximise everything. But uh, but yeah, I mean, we've did all the uh, built the marketing, all the resource. Uh, a lot of people have probably seen the work we do at things like the Fit Show. Um, and we tend to be out and about, and um, uh, people tend to see us. They certainly do. So what, what did the early days of Glasspart look like then? So sort of coming in? It, again, it was a, it's a, a small company. It was identifying where the opportunities were to develop. I mean, we are quite unique in that we do a lot of custom work for uh, anybody that needs an injection molding uh, product. Uh, we do a, you know, a full service supply there right the way through from helping people design the products to actually making the tools, designing the tools, um, delivering them and then fabric and fabricating or uh, molding the parts. And then we can go beyond that into surface finishing and with, with the other divisions that we've got. Um, and then it was about bringing all those together. So you know, it's like with the trickle vents, you know, one of the, we were at the beginning of the, the, the trend on color. I think the first one we did was Chartwell Green, otherwise known as Chartwell Dean, apparently, when they're all taking the mic. But the um, <laughs> that was the first one we got. And they said, well, you'll never get an order until I got an order. And they were like, oh, okay. But now you know, we're in a position where we've got 40 different colors. We've got uh, wood grain finishes with our printing process. And, you know, we've got lots of other things that we've now evolved, the range, uh, which talk to my uh, production team, it's a nightmare, but it's the same product, but it's just lots of different colours, and we're matching the, uh, the you know the profile colours that are out there. So it's understanding that that was a key driver, because back in the day, colour was 5% of, of whatever anybody did. It was painful, nobody really wanted to do it, but then the consumers got hold of it, and it's now up to 60%. So our products, we need to develop with that 
and in, in some cases get ahead of it. Yeah. To actually get ahead so that the market then catches us up. And that's where the strategic stuff where then has to work with marketing stuff that we do, the events that we do, the networking that we do, and having the resources there that, which we build around our website now. Because um, traditionally you don't, you'd have huge catalogs and everything else. They're just cost prohibitive and no one really uses them. Uh, despite my team insisting that they had to have them. Uh, and then they now realize that they don't. But I can use that money elsewhere. Yeah. And do different, hopefully different and better things with it. It's like most things. I picture it like the Screwfix catalog that, you know, you know that there's at least one sat in a van somewhere that will be used occasionally. But on the mm-hmm. on a bigger scale, mm-hmm. people, like you say, you can reuse those resources and put them to good use. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I was walking down um, the high street the, the other week and it's, you, know, you then see the realisation that you used to go to Argos and you, all you do is go in and pick up the catalogue off the yeah. pallet yes. that they'd have in, or three pallets that they'd have in every shop. Now they've got none. That's going into an online resource uh, and apps and everything else. You've got to try and keep ahead of the trend. Yeah. But the cost of you know cutting down those trees. Yeah, that's there's, true. There's, there's an environmental issue in there as well. Yeah. And it's happening everywhere. I think maybe not on things like um, some of the catalogs, industrial ones that are out there, but slowly everyone's getting to the same position. Well, yeah, and I went into uh, our local Screwfix just yesterday, and she told me that I went to the counter to, for a collection. She said, "Oh no, you can collect on the on the tablet now, so I don't even need to talk to someone." Yeah. I think we may lose personal skills at some point. <laughs> just say good morning to someone, maybe a thing of the past. We just talk to a tablet, but yeah. yeah so I was intrigued that, but they're sort of catching up with things, and you know, Argos have been ahead on that for mm-hmm. for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, I think it's very rare now to have uh, you know, a, a full catalogue. But and you know, and you've got to justify, you know, the cutting down of the trees to get them to and print it all. Mm. Never mind the time, the you know, the, the, the actual physical cost of it. Also, with our industry, face to face, I'm sure you get a lot of face to face time with customers, which is partly where it wasn't really a gamble, was it, when you sort of invested in colours because you were giving them what they wanted from those conversations that you've had. Yeah, I mean, we've you know, uh, we talk to a lot of customers. I mean, I. Probably talk to three, four fabricators a day. Uh, normally, my team are doing the same. So, you know, it's understanding what the, you know, what they what what they want. Yeah, you know, there's um, certain things that they want that I know they'll never pay for. But so we've got to park some of that. But it's filtering out what is a commercially viable product for us to actually bring to the table. Because at the end of the day, you know, Ken wants me to sell to sell stuff, and if we develop stuff that we can't sell. He's quite justified. He's going to uh, question why uh, he's not selling anything and it's not going out the door. But uh, you don't always get it right. But um, as long as you get more right than you get wrong, it's not too bad. But also, I mean, if you didn't try, you didn't, you know, look at innovation and trying mm-hmm. to create new products, you, you know, some companies die from that. Yeah. I mean, if you don't, um, if you don't try something different, then you'll just stagnate and you'll, you know, you'll disappear ultimately. Um, you know, we've had some products that haven't gone as well as we'd like. Maybe their time isn't quite there. Yeah, we've had uh, you know, one product where a customer, uh, because we put everything onto the website, understood the application enough to realize there was value in the product. And it's only a small uh, product, but it stops uh, top, top home windows from dropping, which wow. apparently is an ongoing issue. And this particular part, I, heard, I only heard about it by accident, got involved. Um, we've actually amended the product. We've improved it. 
and we're now selling the product on a regular basis to most fabricators out there. But it's about listening to the customer, understanding his problem, and then you realize well, everybody's got the problem. Yeah. That's where you've got an opportunity. So, you know, we actually changed it so it would meet the, um, uh, on the friction stays, you know, we had to amend it because the fixing points are all in different positions. So we've made it so it will fit all of them and it just fits in there nice, nice and uh, tidy and it, it reinforces the strength of the friction stay on a top on window. Right. And the bigger the window, the more you need it. Yeah, definitely. And it works really, really neatly and particularly tight if you tie it up with one of the run-up blocks that we have on the actual sash, uh, they don't drop. So it's, it's, it's listening all the time. Yeah. It's, you know, it's not, not just about trying to create stuff. It's understanding what your customers are wanting and why they want it. Yeah. And then it's trying to then push it through the business. Yeah. No, but I suppose that's a, because you can make tooling as well, mm-hmm. it's easier for you to be dynamic and sort of test the waters a little bit. I, I could imagine there's some companies out there that are sort of restricted in the sense that that would be a massive gamble for them, getting mm-hmm. the tooling and everything made and, and it not working. Yeah. So they, they can't, they don't have that opportunity to even, uh, you know, develop a mm-hmm. product. They, they're sort of, it does the job, it's not quite there, yeah, yeah. but we've got to sell it because that's what the tool is like. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm quite fascinated by that. And then it's sort of, even colors, how do you get into like the color of that component? Do you sort of try and make it blend or do you try and make it stand out? It depends out? on what the customers ultimately want. I mean, you know, you'll have, um, say, a, a run-up block that will it'll be in white because it's not a white UPVC. They then bring other substrates out. Well, you can't really put white on that. So it gradually evolves into the color blends that we have. And that's why yeah, we've uh, set up our website so that we can get closer and faster and improve all our inquiry systems so that people can say, right, that color's not quite right, but that's what I want. But for my engineering team, it's better that they've got that target to go for. Then the customer say, well, I need a bit more blue. Mm. That's a better position to be in and go, yeah, I want it in, um, in tan. Well, what tan do you want? We might have 20. So you know, we're, we're, everything's all there to actually speed everything up. Yeah. But it's not impossible, you know. You could no, you could potentially make any color. Yes. Yeah. It's a bit bit like the uh, anything's possible, just has to be feasible. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, with the the trickle vent product, you know, that's tied into what the system houses are offering to the fabricators. So uh, one of the system houses was launching a new new colors. We actually had a color matched product before they could launch the profile into the UK. <laughs> because we were aware of it and we got ahead of the curve, you know, our, our products will blend in because one of the big things with like the trickle vents, they're highly visible and they're very much in the core now of the hardware pa- uh, package for a window. And that's why, you know, we've spent a lot of time, probably two years or more actually getting the colors to blend as well as developing the design and halving the size of the product. And that's about understanding what the customers would need and want. Yeah, and while on trickle vents, you are considered a trickle vent expert of sorts. I've seen you on a few panels. Apparently, well, apparently I get out and about. <laughs> so without sort of making this a full podcast episode on trickle vents, what do people need to know about them? I think the, the, the there is a, a negative conversation out there about the products. I think that the 
the provision of the background ventilation is a need in a property. doesn't really matter where the hole is. You know, in a 1930s house, it used to be a little air brick at the bottom of behind yeah. the sofa, which tends to get stuffed up with uh, newspaper and papier-mâché and whatever else. But that's why it'll never go back to there. The nature of household construction now is totally different from where we were 10 years ago. And people miss out the fact that you know, there are phenomenal windows out there, the AA, AAA rated windows, absolutely phenomenal. And what they forget is when they actually look at the whole building, say on a new build, it's still the lowest U-value of the entire structure of the building. Oh, yeah. And if you're an architect or you're a house builder, the last thing you want to do is put a cold spot in any of your walls or roofs. Hmm. Especially when you look at the building and you go, there's already a hole there. Yeah. Because you've got to put a window in it. So that's the logical place to put it and the cheapest in the market. So, you know, there's, there's a value to it. You know, we've been through an interesting 12 months or so now. And the, the story, the story has changed from the starting point of everybody objecting to it. Um, I can't say that those objections on the old traditional products that were designed in the 1980s, I can't say that they were necessarily incorrect, but bear in mind the technology and the time it was built in. Hmm. Now look at the technology that's now been used on the design of the latest generation products. It's a totally different animal. And all the issues or most of the issues that you would normally have with the product, with the, the product don't exist anymore. It's just a, a latent f- feedback of how it used to be. And that's why with the new generation, a lot of products are now being obsoleted because they can't come. The, if you put enough on, you can comply, but you can't put six vents on a window to get for it to comply. You, can, you need one or two. So that's why they're disappearing now. And hopefully there's now a realization instead of everybody going, don't put trickle vents on. And it tends to be installers that have the biggest challenge and of the understanding of it. They've also got to sell it, which is is, is part of it. But um, the interesting thing now is the conversation is now changing because we know there is a, a correction coming in in terms of the market exactly when that is and how much it is, it's going to go below pre-pandemic levels. Um, I think everybody agrees on that. It depends on the cost of fuel and whether there's a big, huge benefit in putting uh, new windows in. But um, the value that the trickle vent now can deliver with people who realize that they can sell it. And that can, you know, that was very clear to me. I, uh, I went to one customer who has a, let's just say he, he has a reputation. And if you're not prepared and if you don't know what you're doing and you haven't done all your preparation, fundamentally, he's going to eat you alive. And any, any of the hardware suppliers to the particular person and company will know exactly what I'm talking about. So I won't name him. But um, uh, having gone to the meeting, I'm waiting for the, for, you know, the full-on challenge. And he just sat there and said, right, where well, can I have them? And I'm, I'm sat there going, oh, can we just go back a minute? What do you mean? I need to understand where you are. He said, well, this is really, really simple. I'm going to put a million pound on my top line in terms of sales. 
I'm going to put half a million pounds on my bottom lines in terms of profit, and all I've got to do is put a hole in the window. That value is now being realized in the market. And it's what you know, installers need to understand. They can do the same by adding the value and sell it on to the customer. Because my understanding is obviously an installer puts his profit margin on the labor. So largely the windows will come in roughly at cost and he'll put a little bit on. But now he can put 20 quid a window. I don't know, I'm just making a number up. All of a sudden he can make 250, 500 pound without doing anything. Yeah, oh, that makes sense. And at that point, surely that value is, in, is going to offset some of what I think is coming and we're forecasting at the moment where uh, although the, the pound notes of turnover will be high or about the same, the actual volume that they're fitting will be less. And you've got to make more on those jobs because there's less jobs. Absolutely. And the vent actually gives you that opportunity. Or if you go into the premium finishes, um, you know, they need to be able to sell that because they can make even more money. But everybody's making that slice of the, of the market. And I think the argument's now changing into next year. Yeah. As we go into as we go into twenty twenty three, yeah, we're going back into consultation next year. So it starts again for twenty twenty five. Because that is the aim, isn't it? That that's what the government are working towards and that's what started all of this. They're not just sort of looking at it to try and annoy everyone. It, there is a plan. The, basically, uh, the, the analogy well, what I imagine is if you imagine an insulated box. So if you go and live in it, and you've got four people in, in, in the house, everybody's expelling about two litres of, mo- of moisture every day just by breathing. If you haven't got a means of getting it out, you'll have uh, issues, as you know, we talked about the uh, uh, the case this week where the, the the young boy was attributed to you know, the, the mould and all the condensation buildup was a cause of death. That's what you end up with, unfortunately, and that's why you need to ventilate it. Where you put the hole doesn't really matter. It's just the best place and the easiest place, particularly in refurb, is to put it into the window. And it's yeah, you know, it's a, I know it's a worst case scenario, but it's a demonstration of the issue. And that's part of which, when you look at the the actual documents that are, go along with the building regulations, it's calculated in there at anywhere over seventy million. But they don't know what the number is of the impact on health. Wow. So you need to ventilate it. You don't have to put it through the window. The problem is you then have to prove it. And from my point, from what I've looked at is, you know, yes, you can put an, a, a wall vent in. That's fine. But you've got to put it six foot in the air mm. and you've got to put it in every room. So in a, in a RMI situation, is every installer going to put a wall vent in, core drill out a four inch hole in every room and are the customers going to allow them to do it? Highly unlikely, with my experience, they see window it's changing a as a hassle. Yeah. I mean, people uh, you know, are still objecting about having trickle vents in. The modern ones close properly. The amount of times that I've had customers say, oh, we don't need them. I open the window every day. And I said, well, you know, that's that's not really, I can't, you can't sign that on the paperwork. It doesn't really work. And no. they might do, you know, they might be, you know, it's a really well-vented house, but yeah. that's not what the regulations were. No, I mean, the, the compliance point is that the, at the end of the job, when you get it signed off ready for payment, the house has to comply to the building regulation at that time. Not at any other time, not with the customer going, it's all right, I'm going to put a um, heat recovery system in next month. 
can't do that. He's got to sign it off as compliant at that point in time. And that's the key. Yeah. And that's why you know, I think there are better ways of doing it, but we've got to look at the consultation and see if there's a route forward with that. Well, again, a lot of my experience was when we've had to have the truck events, it was before all of this mm-hmm. majority of the time, and it was new builds. And I was said, look, you're not going to get this signed off. It, you know, this is beyond us now. So we're, we're telling you exactly what we need to do. We're, we'll do that. Mm-hmm. But if you want to try and play the system, I said, the, you know, the building inspector isn't going to sign off on your extension or your new build. You know, mm-hmm. it's just not going to happen. So why even risk it? And then they didn't. But then we got into the issues such as uh, sound and mm-hmm. all those things, which you've solved as well, haven't you? So you've got different versions. Yeah, to a degree. I mean, uh, it, it was interesting. I got involved in one particular project and they're telling me that they've got to have all the acoustic ratings. That's fine. Even with our smallest product, you're getting over 50 dB. Uh, noise reductions, which is quite is a acoustic yeah, vent, uh, but it's when you then go through the site and go, they've had the uh, the noise audit, but it's the windows on that house in the corner, and they only need it on four windows because of a uh, of a high spot of noise on one corner of the plot. Right, but to uh, you know, to put an acoustic vent on there is unbelievable. You know, the, the actual mm-hmm. you know, the, the relative cost. Also, as you were mentioning the wall vents, I used to say to customers, the, you know, windows are designed to take moisture, water, condensation, all of that. And now your new ones really shouldn't do that. But if you've got a condensation problem, mm-hmm. you really want it showing on a window that you can wipe down easily. And I, I've pictured the vents that I have seen in properties up high and mm-hmm. you can usually see a bit of a buildup. And, and I've sort of suggested to people that it's very hard to wipe plaster down and mm-hmm. keep it set. It, you know, it's a spot where something can grow. Something bad can grow very easily and very quickly if you don't take care of it properly. Mm-hmm. Whereas moving it all to the windows, you know, it's usually UPVC element. They all can take the moisture. Mm-hmm. Timber's different, but um, timber's its own thing. But, you know, that kind of... It just makes sense. And I think a lot of people used to get that. Once you sort of explain it and you, at the amount of houses I went mm-hmm. to with condensation problems, some of them were, were really quite bad with mold and to the point where the, the back of their wardrobe was absolutely covered in mm-hmm. mold. And until you sort of point out that, you know, your, it's, it, to some extent it was the heating system. They didn't have an efficient heating system to start with. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'd be called in to look at the windows and I said, look, just put all your money into a nice heating system, get this, this home warm. Mm-hmm. Then you can worry about keeping it in because at this point you know your storage heaters and things like that tended to be a culprit it's just mm-hmm. they hadn't updated it they were worried about investing the money and i was like it's a no-brainer for me you've got to do this otherwise you will constantly have this problem mm-hmm. so i think it was a, a lot of consumers it was the looks it was everything to go with it that was usually mm-hmm. the objections but you know i sat next to you at an event recently and mm-hmm. you pointed out that even concealed trickle vents don't technically conform is that right yeah, it's all about the, the actual requirement per room. Um, you know, England and Wales are the same now. It's all about just getting the minimum requirement in there and telling the, the, you know, the consumers, even you know, the government audit that they carried out and the report they used, I think it was 29% of people knew what a trickle vent was and used it. So it's not a big step to take that forward. But um, you know, I, I talk to a lot of, um, sort of fabricators who do, and they get complaints of, They've put a fixed uh, fix light window in there or uh, a casement window. The customer has previously insisted on not putting a, a trickle vent in it. They do get, they start to get condensation and a mold problem, and it's the fault of the window. Yeah. It's not the fault of the window. It's a fault of potentially one of, you know, obviously I can't cover all scenarios, but potentially 
the lack of a trickle vent, which could be left open to get rid of that moisture, is a solution that should have been in there. But obviously all the rules and the regulations have changed now. Uh, you know, the policing of the market is changing, uh, and that's going to be um, quite an interesting yeah, move forward. Mm. Yeah, we, we had um, condensation, I always used to say, and I think most people do, it, it's a house problem, it's a home problem. It's, it's a the, design problem in, yeah, the, in the property. It, and Because you'd have, you know, you could go onto an estate that was the same age home, two families live completely differently, one showering mm-hmm. and not opening a single window and everything's going everywhere. There's an, there's another that open their windows every day and mm-hmm. it's as fresh as a daisy, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the going back in the day, I, I went to a property where there was a complaint with a customer and um, it was an interesting, I, I actually learned something that day, which was uh, one of the other uh, gentlemen I was with said, ask the owner to run a bath. And you go, Okay, where's he going with this? But, of course, you put the hot tap on, filled the house with steam, then put the cold tap in to cool it down. And he went, okay, that's fine. So what he then did was he emptied it and said, right, if I do it this way, you put the cold water in first and then added the hot water, there was no steam. Simple things. And you go, well, that's quite smart. It was only also at that point that I realised that um, very carefully the, the, the problem was very uh, apparent in that um, I spotted that uh, the uh, the lady had um, got her son to take the uh, the trickle vents off, uh, cling filmed on the underside, and there was no ventilation in the entire property either. So at which point you've got to go, no, undo them, just leave them like that, just let it work in the background, and the problem, oh, she didn't call us back, so uh, that's uh, uh, an example. That, and I've seen... Uh, we all do it. We all dry a bit of washing inside, but literally covered on the radiators, like full, full mm-hmm. loads of washing drying around that. And I was like, where do you think this moisture is going? Where do you, you know, you, it's the middle of winter. You've got every single window closed. You haven't got mm-hmm. trigger vents because you're looking to upgrade your windows and you think you've got a condensation problem. I was like, you have, but changing your windows won't fix this right now. If you can yeah. continue to do this. Yeah. And I think they appreciated it because it, I was being honest and I wasn't trying to sell them a new window, which I think some people would mm-hmm. have, but um, it made them, sort of realize oh no actually that this is quite of going back to it's like throwing water around especially mm. breathing as well put it all together yeah i mean you've got the same thing on the in reverse because where you've got external condensation on some of the you know the best windows out there on the market you just can't see out your house until 11 o'clock in the morning yes there's complaints but it's like that is the best window you can have absolutely yeah that's just that. a consequence of yeah the location where you are yeah and the the, the local um you know climate no, it proves your windows are the, probably uh, you know the best you can get. Yeah, and yeah, you know, it's education. All, all yeah, the time. exactly. Once they knew that, they're usually okay. And I said, the only way to physically stop it, because some people did say, well, is there any way to stop it? And I said, yeah, we could break the seal on your window and let that outside pane warm up like the inside one. Oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> well, in, in terms of the future, I think the you know the key thing there is it's where where is the, the, where's the market going. Um, you know, we, we are expecting a, uh, a correction. Um, we, again, it's about, we don't really know quite where it is going to come in. It was back into uh, the middle of this year. We thought we were going to see it. It depends what prime minister's in today as well, which uh, <laughs> tends to have an impact. Yeah. yeah and then you've got to worry about that. And then you might not have to worry about your heating bill, depending on and, um, who presses any button for a thermonuclear war this week. But, um, yeah, it's, we know it's coming. You know, we see it because of the range of the products that we have. 
So we've already seen the slowdown coming uh, with our flat packer business because that's where the installers are using the packers. That's already slowed down and we see it start to migrate through our product range until you get onto the products like the, the vents. So we know it's on the way. So we can, that reflects across I mean, That's our early warning system, if you like. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, and all the reports are of um, inquiry rates are falling. You know, the conversion rates are falling. Interest rates just keep going up. So, you know, most people will buy their their windows on some form of finance or, or adding to a mortgage. And with the rates going in the direction they are, I think we all sort of recognize it's going to have to slow down mm. with the cost of living crisis and everything else. So, um Hopefully it's just it's short run, but uh, you know the advantage of uh, glass part is the fenestration part of our business is still only a part of our business. So we've got all the other areas, and uh, as with the pandemic, um, the window industry closed down initially um, within about three days. We were fortunate that our medical businesses were slightly awakened with what was going on, and we were working flat out you know, through the pandemic with that. So it's that mix that we, you know, we look to maintain because it's a strength of the, of the business. That's a good point. So how far do you stretch then? The range of products you actually manufacture are quite, quite varied then. Oh, absolutely. There's lots of different mechanical products. We've got a lot of medical products, medicine, bottle products uh, that go halfway around the world, you know, and we also have customers all the way around the world. So we're not just linked into one market. It's you know you know probably half the world we we have a customer of for some sort of product that we actually uh, deliver in you know we have our operation over in America in Alabama uh, that works in the in the uh, furniture business so they sell one of our uh, proprietary products which is another strength of our business in that there's not many companies have our own product range and we've got three or four so we've got markets that we work with that diversifies what we do as well as the, you know, the wider industrial markets that we, we uh, that we supply, so it's a, it's a strength to our business. Absolutely. So, how do you, when you join Glasspart, was, was your? I mean, are you involved in all of those, or are you sort of specialising in more the fenestration side? We tend to focus on the fenestration side uh, because it's the the biggest driver and the, uh, that we have at the moment, and it's obviously the the most sort of uh, lucrative that we see. But we're always got our eyes open on the wider markets. So I mean, my responsibility is for all of the sales. So I manage the, the sales teams. I've also got the customer service team uh, that report through me. So all the, all the front end, I get the visibility of, 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 of what's going on and you know, changing that as we need to and resourcing it. From a comparison point of view, how does how does the fenestration industry fare to sort of the medical? Is it sort of different buying habits and and a completely different unicorn? It's, yeah, it's totally different. It's uh, yeah the uh, I know we've met, you know, met at very various different events, but the the window industry is very much more a uh, a social industry. Yeah, if you want to put it like that, it's changing slowly, but uh, yeah, it's all all about relationships. Mm, yeah, no, definitely, I agree with that. That's... Whereas it's more about it's more about um, you know having the badges and the right certificates and the right processes and things and the right kit for you know something like a, you know certainly pharmaceutical and things like that. Mm. Mm. But uh, I mean, we do a lot in medical gases, and um, you know, all the way through the pandemic, you could uh, when you were all sat at home, 
you, know, you could actually see our products being used on every every newscast. Wow! All over the, you know, all over the country, mm-hmm. uh, and that was a positive thing, which uh, kept our team going because uh, uh, we uh, most of the team worked through. So uh, yeah, we just we're still uh, trying to recover from that. I was going to say almost in a way. I meant that you could because fenestration had stopped. It, it allowed you to use your resources and, and keep oh, up with I demand. Mean, yeah, I mean, basically, um, the you know our medical customers basically said. Are you working? Can you can you supply? We went well. Yeah. How much do you want? They said no. Whatever you make, we will buy. Right. Which is a phenomenal position to be able to be in. Yeah. And ultimately, then, if fenestration had continued and not stopped, you would have struggled. That would have been a struggle. No, it's a, it's a different area of the business. So, oh. so it's a it's a different way forward. I mean, we had the situation as everybody I think experienced as we came out of the first lockdown that. Nobody expected the uh, the spike in demand for everybody sat at home deciding to change their windows. Mm. And um, people then deciding, oh, actually, I'm going to do my garden up or I'm going to relay, you know, my partner is uh, in the aggregates business. They were shipping tenfold what they would normally ship just of stone to go on the, on the ground. Wow. And it wasn't just windows but nobody expected that and we had to ramp up to meet it. So you never quite know what's going to happen. Yeah. All part of the fun, isn't it? Absolutely. <laughs> also, you mentioned flat packers. Mm-hmm. Who came or does every company have their own type of colors depending no. on size? Um, or well, the, range, uh, the flat packer was actually invented by Ken uh, Hanley, who owns a business. Right. So the, the, the color coding was basically invented by him when he evolved the product. So green is one mil. Yep. Yep. That, that was him. Yeah. Because literally, he, he, he was just a, a simple identifier uh, for the six different sizes that mo- generally that most people use. Red is six. I was going through them at the weekend. I was having a friend with some panels, and I was picking up pack, and I thought, who came up with this color combination? Because I was looking, I started looking for a black packer, and I was like, I knew it was a two mil, but I was trying to just, I just yeah. went for the colors, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And that's why it's there. Yeah, exactly. That's you just sort of go to it, and then okay, you get into wide and slim depending on the profile. Yeah. And these, yeah. I was annoyed because the, the the windows were slightly older, so they were slimmer. So I was having to cut <laughs> some down. But um, yeah, the principle was there. So no, absolutely. I mean, we still do anywhere between fifteen and twenty million a month. Wow. So uh, yeah, it's part of what we do. Yeah, you know, we've got for the fenestration industry. I think it's about eight nine hundred products. Wow. For That's... various systems and. Uh, applications but the other question that's in my head do you have a favorite product uh, to be honest I, I have to say it's, it's probably the vents because you know i learn something different about all our customers every day and it tends to originate from that as a as a starting figure you know it's also the biggest uh, growth area we have and the most complex mm-hmm. yeah, so it's uh, it keeps the old gray matter working yeah yeah brilliant well We've got to the stage now where three questions. Okay. Firstly, in the whole of your journey, is there a low point that sticks out for you? I, don't know. I think the, the low point was probably the, you know, that realisation of, you know, uh, I, I could answer all the questions in, in, when I was in the fastener industry and there wasn't a challenge there. You know, I, I always look for a challenge. And I've certainly had that in the last 10 years. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Then the flip side to that, is there a high point that sticks out for you? Well, it's actually earlier in with the, probably the same company. You know, I was responsible for uh, one of the global rail car manufacturers around the world. 
and coordinated the response with them. And um, I also developed uh, a couple of applications that uh, I've subsequently found have um, literally transited the world. Right. Yeah. What, one application was just on a on a radio, big heavy duty radiators for the you know the big machines that work in um, um, landfill sites and things like that. And uh, we developed an application there, and um, we got the first application. We did a lot of training. I heard, I think it was last year, you know, they're they're they're, they're taking something like five hundred thousand of these rivets uh, a month uh, for all of their build now because their applications have rotated. And it was actually a friend of mine who was involved at the same time who had gone back into this company. You know, the buyer was just going. I've got to get rid of these. How can I get rid of them? And he says, well, I know who did that. This is the guy's name. I was with him. And he went through it. said, you can't change anything because you've got to go back and retest all of the applications. Wow. But they haven't had a single failure on that product since, <laughs> which was the whole objective. Yeah. Because it was their current solution was failing. So that was, that was nice to hear that feedback from. Absolutely. Last question. It's a finish ration related question, but you know a lot of people. I know you mm. get around. That sounds bad, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> if you had to spend two weeks on a desert island with someone from within the finish ration industry, <laughs> who would it be? Does anyone speak to And you could take a few minutes. I can always get it down. <laughs> now, that, that is a difficult one. I mean, I've met a lot of uh, extremely interesting uh, people in the, in the trade and yeah, you know, there's a lot of people I, you know, I could spend a lot of time with. If I was going to pick anybody, uh, having been put on the spot, I would guess it's going to be put someone like Gareth Jones up at uh, Solar Windows. And I've got a lot of time and a lot of respect for him and uh, the work he's done over the years. Fantastic. Dean, thank you very much for your time today. No problem at all. Thank I you. I think someone would have learned something from this podcast. <laughs> if anything, it's the packers. If you don't know what a flat packer is and you're installing, you probably shouldn't be installing. <laughs> No problem at all. Cheers, Dean. Thank you. Bye now. That was a great conversation with Dean. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you'd like to hear more podcasts like this one, consider subscribing. Otherwise, thank you for listening. Until next time.